In the realm of children's literature, there is a creative force who has authored and illustrated over 40 books that have left an impression on readers. Known for his wildly popular Lunch Lady graphic novels and the Star Wars Jedi Academy series, his storytelling prowess knows no bounds. One of his standout books, which happens to be my favorite, Hey Kiddo, garnered recognition as a National Book Award finalist. With a signature blend of humor, heart, and profound respect for his readers, his books have become cherished pictures on the bookshelves of countless homes, libraries, and bookstores over the past two decades. He is not just an author. He's a storyteller who has, de has delivered not one, not two, but three captivating TED Talks, amassing millions of views. His presence extends even further through the tutorials he shared on YouTube and TikTok, earning him millions more views. Get ready to extend a warm welcome to the creative genius responsible for these remarkable achievements, Jarrett J. Krasowska. Hey, Chris, you're the one greatly kind and has a director. Thank you so much. Many authors have a childhood book that sparked their passion for storytelling. Can you share a book from your childhood that inspired you to become an author and illustrator? How did I, it influence I, your creative journey? I have them here, Christopher. So um, the, I keep all of, I, I'm looking up that I still have my childhood books and my end all be all was The Mouse and the Motorcycle by Beverly Cleary. I absolutely loved this book, but um, I didn't think that I was much of a reader because the reading that I was really into as a kid was was never validated as real reading because something that I loved was, you know, Garfield comics. Like I would I would read Garfield in the newspaper every single day. I would collect the treasuries. Um and any anything and everything Batman comics was I was just obsessed with. And so um my my love of comics in, you know, whether it be the comic strips in the newspaper or the monthly editions uh, of the superhero comics, that led me to my love of of art and drawing and then writing and reading. Uh, and so so what I what I do today is like just directly linked to to all of that stuff I was reading as a kid. Um, I actually never read Garfield. What is that about? Well, I heard it's really good. And then, well, with all due respect to Mr. Davis, uh, it's it's not a very deep comic. Like when you when you think I also really love Charlie Brown and Snoopy and that that can get very cerebral. Uh, Garfield is 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 fairly one note in that, you know, he hates Mondays. He loves lasagna. He's gluttonous. He's really mean to the dog that he lives with. And and basically every comic strip revolves around that. Oh, so it's like a slice of life kind of story. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say that. Yeah. There's nothing like he doesn't, he doesn't go into fantasy. Like I, I also really loved, I know I have it here. Like Calvin and Hobbes too. That was my end all be all. And like this, this is like the gold standard for what you can do uh, with the beauty of comics visually and, and how, how, how Bill Watterson got into that character's imaginations and he became Spaceman Spiff and he went on all these other adventures. Your books are known for their humor, heart, and respect for readers of all ages. What inspires you when creating stories that resonate both children and adults? You know, I it, it feels like a fairly selfish endeavor because I am really entertaining myself. I'm, I'm thinking about what I want to spend time on 
writing and illustrating, like what what I'm going to be entertained by. And I'm very much connected to the reader that I was as a kid and as a, as, as a teenager as well. And so I I write for that inner younger version self of, of me. And I'm just very fortunate that that has connected with readers over the years. Hey Kiddo is a memoir about addiction and family dysfunction. How do you navigate the process of turning your own life story into a compelling narrative? It's definitely tricky, especially, you know, one of the major things that I took into consideration is how sharing a story about my life publicly would affect the real people that surrounded me in in those times of my life. So uh, I wanted to be raw and honest. I didn't want to sugarcoat anything. Um, and so I had family members, you know, who, who are still with us read early drafts of the scripts. And one, because I wanted to be fact-checked if necessary. Like if I was remembering something differently uh, than how it happened. And and then also to know what their comfort level was in, and even if they were just had a passing mention in the book, um, you know, with a with a last name like Krasowska, even if I were to come up with a fake name for the first name, uh, if there are family members out there whose last name is Krasowska, like it's going to be pretty easy to sort of point the make make the connection between like a fake name and then the real person if if that was the case. Um, but in regards to like how to how to craft that as a story, I, when I'm writing, I like to think of the the big picture. So uh, that means outlines and you know beats of the story and and with my memoir what i've done is i um i would write memories down on post-it notes and so now i have all of these memories on post-it notes as they you know memories as they come to me and then sorting out on a bulletin board how i wanted to use those memories as moments of the story and in, in what order they would be revealed to to the reader be it you know flashback or chronological order you delivered three TED Talks that garnered millions of views online. Could you tell us the key messages or insights you aim to convey in these TED Talks and how they relate to your work as an author and illustrator? So the very first TED Talk I gave, I was the was sort of, for lack of a better expression, it's kind of by accident. I was a last minute replacement. So it was a TEDx talk was happening in the next town over for me and their headliner had quit. And the talk was that night and they were looking for a replacement. And so I had like four hours to get myself in order, get some kind of talk in order and get over there. And so I didn't even have time to rehearse it. Uh, but my wife, Gina, was the one to, to encourage me to talk about my upbringing and how um, art was a saving grace for me, how I had these amazing teachers, how I dealt with my mother's addictions. And, and so that was, you know, com I was completely shooting from the hip. And even though I had a slide deck ready to go from another presentation. So when I'm speaking, when I'm delivering a public talk, I, I, I approach it the same way that I do my books and, and I'm telling stories with words and pictures. And when you tell stories with words and pictures, you allow each to tell a different part of the story. You know, you don't want the words and pictures to tell the exact same part of the story because that would, you'll be repeating yourself. So at least I, I had those visuals that would would cue me to, to what I might want to say next on the talk. Um, another talk I gave was about uh, School Lunch Hero Day, which is an offshoot of my Lunch Lady books in which we, we celebrate the work being done in school cafeterias. 
And then the third one was about memory and how how uh, you know sharing stories can can keep memory alive. And and that one was a bit tricky because what I did with that one is I wanted to challenge myself, and I drew live while telling the story. So I had to memorize what I was going to say and memorize what I was going to draw. And again, when I was developing that talk, making sure that my words and the pictures complemented each other and didn't just um, compete for attention. Yeah, yeah, going back to the first TED Talk, so you're saying you did everything on the spot? Yes. So uh, it was it was noon. My phone rang at noon on a Friday. And the, they, they explained that their headliner had quit and that the, the talk started at 4 p.m. And uh, so it was a TED Act, which was, you know, a little less stressful. So there's there's TED, which is the mothership, like the main thing. And then there's TEDx. And, t- you know, it's TEDx. Hampshire College or TEDx, whatever particular college or school or community, and any any organization uh, could could license TEDx to have a TEDx event. They do have to jump through a certain amount of protocols to make sure that everything's on brand and it's up to the level that that TED wants. And everything that is filmed for TEDx goes on the TEDx YouTube page. And if you were to go through the TEDx YouTube channel. You'll see that production-wise, there's a full spectrum. There are some TEDx videos where it's really high production value, and then there are some TEDx events in which they they did not have a good production value. And I was lucky enough that they had high production value at the talk that I gave. So that TEDx talk went viral, which then became a TED talk of the day. Gradu- graduated to TED.com, and so yeah, it was just uh four hours to not only like figure out what i was going to talk but like i you know i wasn't ready to be on stage i wasn't ready to be on camera and i had the slide deck that was for a talk that was about an hour long and i had to whittle that down to make sure that my talk was no longer than 18 minutes so that was another pressure of this talk has to be under 18 minutes it's being delivered live and you know so you're being filmed and so when my feet hit that stage that was the first time I was on that stage. Like I didn't get a chance to rehearse it. I didn't get a chance to practice it. And then all, all I knew uh, as an absolute in that moment is that whatever I would say and do would go on the TEDx YouTube page, regardless of, of how it went. In addition to your books, Punk Farm, Lunch Lady series, Platypus Police Squad series, Star Wars Jedi Academy series, gained significant following on platforms like YouTube and TikTok your artistic tutorials. What led you to explore these digital platforms and how do you see them shaping the future of creativity and storytelling? So I've always been obsessed with film. I've been dabbling in making movies since I was in eighth grade and that was in 1991. So this is a VHS of the animations I made when I was in my early teens. And I also, you know, as I, as I as I grew up, I was playing around with the animations, and even at the start of my um, career as a children's book author, you know, and I started uh, fairly young. I was 23 years old in 2001 when my first book was published, and part of the process of of, of growing your career is you have to give public talks, and I used to be, Christopher, I used to be so scared of speaking publicly, like I would clam up and I would clench my my fists and I would clench my jaw and I would turn red and blotchy. And so to help me get over that stage fright, I would actually make little skits and movies and put them on DVD. 
And I would, and that would buy me 10, 15 minutes of the allotted 30 minutes that I had to be <laughs> on stage. That's smart. That's smart. <laughs> and you know, that was also, uh, just pre YouTube, YouTube wouldn't be around for their four or five years. And so, um, I then always would, would create little animations as book trailers for my, my picture books. And, you know, when YouTube came around, I, I started an account, but it was never a space in that I was looking as a channel to create content. It was more like I made a video and I need to, I want to send it to somebody. Well, I, the only way I could send such a big file or link it to my website would be to have it on, on YouTube, like the animated trailers or such. And in January, 2020, my new year's resolution was to do more webcasting. So I went, my eldest child is 15. And when she was about two years old, you know, when I was traveling all across the country to connect to readers, I thought, well, let me try to start doing some kind of virtual thing. So I would Skype into libraries and classrooms. So by January, 2020, I thought I, I want to do this on a more regular basis. And I always create one attainable goal in January for the, for that next year. And you think about, okay, here's my goal. What is getting in my way of achieving that goal? And for me, that was, well, space, having a space where I could just jump in front of a camera and, and, and connect to the, the digital audience without having to worry about if it's messy or if someone's nearby or, or if I have art hanging up, like, because I work on this, worked on the star Wars books, I couldn't have artwork in the back of my my shot that people couldn't know about yet. And so this, this is a little room in my basement that I carved out to be a recording studio. And of course, in January, 2020, you know, like most people, most Americans are still so naive to think that COVID wouldn't make it here to the States. And, and, and what in March, 2020, when everything shut down, uh, I had the space ready to go. And so I, I immediately started, um, going live every day to give these art tutorials for all the kids who are stuck at home. And then that evolved to creating short form content. And uh, it helps my creative brain in that, um, you know, books take so long to make, and then it takes another year for them to be released. And with a video, I could make one and put it out and get that satisfaction of having made something and sharing it within minutes or hours, right? Um, and it's been a fantastic way for me to uh, connect with my readers, especially now, you know, the lunch lady readers who read my books when they were kids who are now in their 20s. Uh, it's, it's connected me to other creative people uh, that I, I wouldn't have otherwise have, have met. Um, and, you know, I, I've long wanted to adapt some of my books for TV or film. And I've dealt with, you know, the option, the Hollywood game of they're going to make it they might make it. Oh, no, they're not going to make it. You know, I've had 10, 10 times a, a movie studio has said, we'd like to make this. And then they changed their mind. And it very much feels like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. You know, the football gets shanked the last minute and Charlie Brown falls at his back. But, but there have been plenty of times where I'm so glad that version didn't get made because I hated it. Like I, I, I wasn't the person, you know, doing the development work. And so I had an offer for Hey Kiddo to be a TV series before the pandemic happened. And it was with this very prominent Hollywood producer. 
And I just, it didn't sit well with me the way they were talking about addiction, the way that I wouldn't have any sort of control. Um, so, uh, you know, a filmmaker that I befriended over via TikTok, my, my dream of dreams would be to, to adapt Hey Kiddo completely independently. And then even just release it on YouTube, you know, I mean, YouTube viewership has surpassed Netflix at this point. The, the, the outlets we have for digital storytelling has made everything more accessible. And, you know, if an artist makes the right moves and assembles the right team, they would be able to put out some sort of film that was so close to, you know, as close to their, their vision without, you know, interference of executives. And it would stay on the platform, right? Because now we're seeing these streamers invest all this money to make something, a movie or TV show, and it doesn't do well. So they pull it from their platform and then no one can see it. Uh, so anyways, that's a, a long-winded way of, of answering your question. Hey Kiddo was not only a finalist in the 2018 National Book Award for Young People's Literature, but also won the 2019 Harvey Award for Book of the Year. What was your reaction when you received these honors and how have they impacted your approach to your craft? I was, uh, I guess, both surprised and relieved. I mean, I, because all my previous work was really lighthearted and fun, I was really nervous about publishing Hey Kiddo because it is so heavy and so emotionally fraught. And, you know, it's filled with all of the expletives that my grandparents muttered. And uh, where it was a book that I at one point thought, oh, am I destroying my career by putting this book out? It is a book that very much ele elevated my my career. And so I feel very fortunate. Now, in regards to like, how does that affect the work going forward? Um, it complicates it in a certain way because you worry about trying to either replicate that success or surpass that success, which isn't a healthy way to live, right? Um, and so I, I would say that would be the the biggest hurdle if in regards to getting getting those accolades, you know, and because you can only you like you can't control like when you're making goals for yourself, you have to set your goals based on what you can control. So I can control putting out, books to the best of my ability, like writing and illustrating the best possible book that I could write. Like I can't control, well, what five people will be on this awards committee and what will those awards committee think about my work? And then what other books are coming out like that will drive me mad if I think about it too much. And, uh, also those the accolades while, while nice are not the driver or what's most important. Uh, was there any copyright claims made against your Star Wars Jedi Academy series? No, it's licensed. I mean, I was hired by Lucasfilm to do that, right? Oh. So, yeah, yeah. Like, if you were to peek inside the copyright page, you would see copyright Lucasfilm, Disney, and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, I I wouldn't dare try to publish a book. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't do that morally, you know, creating uh, uh, something where I'm stealing someone's work, uh, work and intellectual property. But, you know, you're not going to, you should not mess with the Disney Corporation. Like they would shut that down so quickly. Did Lucasfilm reach out to you or did you reach out to the, them? They reached out to me, which was, I was surprised because I would never would have considered myself somebody who makes art that would have been in the style of 
you know, for our style for a Star Wars book. But that was also at a time when there was this real, real switch where uh, Star Wars, where they were doing some more lighthearted, fun, cartoony books. Before that, for the most part, what I would have thought of a Star Wars book would have been hyper-realistic artwork, you know, very serious uh, in tone. Jared J. Krasowska's story is a testament to the power of creativity and the importance of giving back to the community. We are grateful for his insights and the inspiration he has shared with us today on Unbanned Coolies. Thank you, Jared, for joining us and for your continued commitment to the worlds of art and literature. And Christopher, thank you for having me. And, and thank you so much for having this platform to share stories. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. You were so great. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.